0: So let me just say this, remind you, and if you're newer, to let you know we've got a threefold mission to love Jesus, to journey together, to bring hope to the world. That means we're all about loving Jesus first, loving one another, loving lost people. And home church is at the heart of how we do that. So just encourage you to be part of a home church. Our passage today is found in, Revela- in Genesis 12, the other side of the Bible, not Revelation. Genesis 12, four verses in the Abraham narrative. This is God's word. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Church, this is God's word. Please be seated. God is looking for people who will live by faith. He is looking for people who will trust him with all their hearts. He is looking for people who will believe that God is God, that God is good, that God knows what he's talking about, and that they will trust him. God is looking for those kind of people. In fact, the Bible says that without faith, without trust, it is impossible to please God. But what does it mean for you and me to live by faith in today's world? What does a life mean? lived by trusting God, by faith in God, what does it look like in our world? Well, this morning we come to Abraham in Genesis 12. He is the father of the Jewish people. So at this point in the Bible, in the Bible story, God is saying, okay, I'm going to begin a new people, the chosen people, the Jewish people, and I'm going to start with this man, Abraham. Abraham, by the way, was his given name. God later changes his to Abraham, and that's how we know him. Abraham would become one of the three great figures in the Old Testament along with Moses and David. And kind of to uh, locate these guys in the biblical timeline, think of Abraham as being about 2,000 B.C., Moses about 1,500 B.C., round numbers, and David right at 1,000 B.C. So about every 500 years, Abraham, Moses, David become the three really pivotal figures in the Old Testament. Abraham will become the leading example of what it means to live by faith. We see that in the Old Testament. We certainly see that in the New Testament. He becomes, of everybody in the Bible, the leading example of what it means to live by faith. So we're beginning the Abraham narrative, and we are beginning uh, God's speaking to us through his word about living by faith. Now, last week and many other times, I have gone over that you can though you can divide the Bible into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament, and we should, uh, there are also three parts of the biblical story of the way God is at work in human lives. Genesis 1 through 11, God is just dealing with individuals. That's a long period of time. We don't know how long. Genesis 1 through 11. Then beginning in Genesis 12, our passage, he's now creating this special nation, the Jews, Israel. And from Genesis 12, the rest of the Old Testament, through the Gospels, down through Acts 1, it's the Jewish people, all about the Jewish people, about the nation of Israel. But in Acts 2, he pours out his Spirit to begin the church, this large international gathering of people from all over the world, and he's he's now working through the church. Churches like Wood's Edge. Now in verse 1, when he begins this middle second section, the Jews, We read, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, it was asking nearly the impossible to ask somebody to leave their ancient homeland and all their people and all their family. That was like asking the impossible. And not only does God ask him the impossible, he doesn't tell him where he's going to go, where he's going to end up. You leave and you go, I will show you where when you arrive. And so, God is beginning this new people. He chooses this man, Abraham, or Abraham, asking him an impossible thing. And the question is why Abraham? What was it about Abraham? It doesn't seem to be special at this time. He's not a king, he's not a wealthy man, he's nothing special. He's just an ordinary man. There's nothing in the text to set him aside as anything other than ordinary. Why does God choose Abraham? Well, here's a better question. Why does God choose you and me? Why, did he cho- Why are you here this morning? What is in your heart that God chose you to draw you to himself and give you a heart to seek him this morning? Why did God save you? Why did God... Why does God want to use you in your one lifetime? Why did God choose you? And there is no, no reason in you why God has done that. God is gracious, he is sovereign, and he chooses to use you and ordinary people, just like Abraham. I love the line, the, the phrase in the book of Acts, in Acts 4.13, when the religious leaders were marveling that, here's Peter and John, these two fishermen. I mean, why them? And it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They're just ordinary people. And God loves to use ordinary people. Some of you think, well, God can't particularly use me. I'm just an ordinary person. That's who He uses. That's who He uses. Okay, he chose Abraham. Now, Abraham is living in a city called Ur, U-R, Ur of the Chaldees. It's in modern-day Iraq. Uh, last week, after one of the services, one of the veterans came up to me and said, when I was deployed in Iraq, we went to the a, a, a city of Ur. Ur was an advanced city at this time. It had a library. It had uh, mathematics. They had white trade. I mean, it was considered to having an advanced culture. So not only is, he, is God asking him to leave this safe-walled city, and depart, but it's a, a nice city in the ancient world. Now, think about it um, how different that would have been for Abraham, how, how difficult it would have been. Okay, you leave all your family, all that you've known, all your people, you're safe behind this walled city where there's security. And you're gonna go out and venture out on those roads that just head out to who knows where. And there are robbers and there are bandits out there, and it's not safe. And there's no highway patrol out there protecting you. And there are no fast food restaurants or motels to stay in. And who's going to take care of you and where are you going to eat? And you're going to be apart from all of your people. And Abraham obeys God. After all that, he says, go to the land that I will show you. In verse 4, right after that threefold call, we read the simple line, so Abraham went as the lord had told him now there is extensive commentary about abraham and some of his decisions in the new testament in several places one of those is in the book of hebrews and there it talks about this specific passage when it says this it tells why he could do this why he could go why he could obey god it says hebrews 11:8 by faith abraham obeyed god by faith by trust Because he believed that somehow God was God and that God is good and that God is sovereign, that God should be obeyed somehow by faith, by trusting God, he obeyed God. And the verse says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. So he obeys because he trusts. There's no record here that Abraham argued with God or questioned God or demanded a sign from God, he simply obeyed by faith. He obeyed God because he trusted God. And if you and I trust God, we will obey God. Bottom line. If we're trusting God, at that point, we will obey him. And whenever we're not obeying him, you can count on it, we're not trusting God. Now with God's command to to leave and to go to this place I'm gonna show you comes a promise. In fact. There is a sevenfold promise that he gives to Abraham in the next two verses. Verses 2 and 3 alone have seven promises. If you'll do this, Abraham, this is what will happen. Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, I'm going to take care of you big time. But you've got to do this radical, extreme thing. But I've got seven promises. Let's unpack those briefly. First promise, I will make of you a great nation. Now that's quite a promise to somebody who doesn't have any kids whatsoever. He's going to you know, have tons of descendants come from him. And he's 75, his wife is 65, and she is barren, by the way. And Abraham, I'm going to give you tons of descendants. That's quite a promise. I will make you a great nation. It's just like God, though, isn't it, to uh, do the impossible. God will call you, just like he calls Abraham, and just like he calls everybody in the biblical story, he will call you to trust him for impossible things. And the reason that he's going to call you to trust him for the God size, that is, things you can't do on your own, is because he's building faith in you, just like he's building faith in Abraham and all through the scriptures. God is teaching you to trust him. So this morning, church, let me pause at the outset and ask you, what are you trusting God for that only God can do? What are you trusting God for that would be impossible apart from God? What are you trusting God for? What are you asking God for regularly that if God doesn't show up and, and come through, you're sunk? Let me ask you this. Are you tru- and, and on this one, give me a response. You know, either this way or this way. Are you trusting God for the impossible? Uh, Let me look around the room. Uh, Okay, it takes me a little bit to get all the way around the room. All right, okay, good, good. God loves it when we're trusting him for the impossible. He's building faith. Second promise, Abraham, I will bless you. That is, I'll put my hand of favor upon you. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I will bless you. Now, that happened. Here is this wandering nomadic unknown, ordinary man, and God blessed him in an incredible way so that he and Sarah not only will have a son, it took a while, they not only have a son, but he becomes one of the great figures in the Old Testament, one of the renowned figures in all of the biblical story, and later God will call him a, a, the friend of God, and he becomes the main example in all the Bible of living by faith. So, did God bless Abraham? You bet he did. Thirdly, a similar promise I will make your name great did that happen here's this unknown ordinary person living in the ancient world and now today uh 4,000 years later he is one of the most well-known names in all of the history of the world he's revered by people across the globe including Jews Christians and Muslims he's in the New Testament more than any other person and God made Abraham's name great Last week, if you were here in the Tiber of Babel, in in man's proud rebellion, they said, you know, let us make a name for ourselves, you know, in our pride. Abraham's not concerned to make a name, but God is going to give him, make his name great. And that should always be our perspective. We're we're not called to make a name for ourselves, but to exalt a name, the name of Jesus. All righty, that's the third promise, going to make your name great. Fourth promise, you will be a blessing. Now, this is interesting God is going to bless Abraham. He's going to give him good things. And you will be, in turn, a blessing to other people. And all through the Bible, we see this pattern. God blesses his people not so they could just sit there and kind of be self-absorbed, self-consumed, and enjoy uh, God's blessing. He blesses his people so they can, in turn, bless others. All through the Bible, you see that. In fact, one of the biggest blessings is when you are a blessing to others. Man, it's far more fun to give than to receive when you can be a blessing to others. That's, that's the thrilling part. So God, church, you live in the most affluent culture in all of history. And um, uh, compared to people in world history, you are among the most financially, materially blessed. And God didn't give us all these things just so we could enjoy it and live for ourselves, but so we could be a blessing for the people in the world and, be, and the kingdom of God around the world. People in need. You will be a blessing, Abraham. And that happens. Fifth promise. I will bless those who bless you. As I said, Abraham is going to be called the friend of God. God is going to identify himself with Abraham in such a way that to bless Abraham is to bless Abraham's God. So Abraham, those who bless you, your people, the Jewish people, I'm going to bless those folks. Conversely. The opposite of that is true. He who dishonors you, I will curse. Or as it's translated often, uh, he who curses you, I will curse. That is, if people oppose God's people, the Jewish people, then, you know, watch out. Now, did that happen? Well, the first big case of that after Abraham came when the Egyptian people uh, enslaved the Jewish people and mistreated them and oppressed them for 400 years. And God, uh, did God... uh, Bring some judgment about that? Well, 10 plagues and then destroy the Egyptian army in the Red Sea? Yes, God brought catastrophe on the Egyptian people. On their way to the, to the land of the promise, there were several folks who just opposed them uh, incredibly. Wouldn't let them pass through and anything like that. And, and each one of those nations who opposed Israel would later meet with disaster. In the 8th century, the most powerful country, most powerful empire was the Assyrian Empire, and they captured the northern kingdom, and later they would be wiped off the map. Two centuries later, the Babylonian Empire, modern-day Iraq, became the most powerful empire in that ancient world. They uh, captured the southern kingdom and brought great oppression. God brought disaster upon the Babylonians. And it took place with every, person, every group in history. The Persian kingdom... Uh, the Roman Empire, the greatest kingdom ever, and they would so oppose Israel, they would enslave them, destroy Jerusalem and the temple, and it was the Romans who really scattered them as a nation. They didn't have a nation until 1948. Where's the Roman Empire today? If you oppose God's people, then God will oppose you. During the Middle Ages... It is sad to see this, but there were a number of groups in Europe, so-called Christian groups, who opposed and persecuted God's people, the Jews, and every time they would meet with judgment of God. It's going to happen. And then Hitler, and the most egregious example ever, opposed God's people with the desire to eliminate them from the face of the earth and six million Jews, including 1.5 million children, were killed. And where is that powerful thousand-year Third Reich today wiped off the map? If you oppose God's people, God will oppose you. And there is still a satanic anti-Semitism across the globe today, as we're seeing in modern-day France. And people better watch out. That has happened. Seventh... And in you, Abraham, the seventh promise. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that is a different promise. You would think that this is all about the Jews. I mean, I'm here. here God is starting the Jewish race, the Jewish people, the chosen people. God's going to bless them. He's going to bless those who bless them. He's going to curse those who curse them. But it was never only about them. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed and that includes us. You're not Jewish. I mean hardly any of you are. We're Gentiles, non-Jews. God was going to bless Abraham not just so he could bless the Jewish people but through him bless all the peoples of the earth. He's going to send a Messiah. He's going to send the Word of God. He's going to send the promises of God, the covenants of God, the worship of God. God's going to bless all of us through Abraham. Now what we see here At this turning point in biblical history when God is moving from all kind of individuals to the Jewish people, we see God's global heart for all the peoples of the earth. You see, God was never only about a certain people. It was always, bless this people so he could in turn bless and they could be a light to the nations, bless all people. So right from the outset of the biblical story with the Israelites, we see God's heart for all the peoples of the earth, Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. God's global perspective Throughout the Bible, it's seen time after time after time. Sometime, or not just sometime, when you are reading the Scriptures, keep in mind, keep a lookout for phrases like this, all the families of the earth, all the peoples of the earth, the entire earth, for God so loved the world, Uh, every tongue, tribe, people, nation. That kind of language is from Genesis to Revelation. God's heart has always been for all the peoples of the earth. And if God's heart is for all the peoples of the earth, that must be our heart too. And so all of us are to be world Christians, global Christians, missional Christians. We're all concerned. If we're only concerned about the people that look like us, I mean, we're missing it out. We're missing out of God's heart. Uh, This The biblical global perspective condemns any narrow nationalism that just focuses on us to the exclusion of others. It condemns any ethnic pride or sense of superiority. Any racism. uh, Any... uh, Instinctual prejudice against people of other colors, cultures, or countries. We're global. We're followers of the living God, and He is a global God. All righty, sevenfold promises, sevenfold promise to Abraham. How does Abraham respond to this near impossible call? Well, as we saw earlier in verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord told him, and he did it by faith, which we saw in the New Testament, by faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. So this is a watershed passage in the biblical story because now God's going to be working through one nation to be a light to all nations. But it is also a watershed passage in that he is beginning the Abraham narrative, the main life that he is teaching you and me what it means to live by faith and to trust God. Now, this morning, church, let's press into that. What does it mean for you and me to live by faith, to trust God. What does it mean to believe that God is God and, he, and this is his word and he means what he says and he's going to do what he says and he's going to take care of us and he's good and he is to be obeyed? What does that mean and what does that look like? Let me give you five traits or characteristics of people who live by faith. But before I do so, let me remind you, and your entire existence from the time you were conceived in your mother's womb, ever and ever, because you'll never die, your only opportunity to trust God and live by faith is the few milliseconds that you live on this planet. For all eternity, you don't live by faith, you live by sight. God's right there. You don't have to live by faith. But your only opportunity to declare to the universe that God is God and you do trust him, is right now, this lifetime. It is your only opportunity to live by faith. How are you doing? Five characteristics if you are living by faith. One, people of faith don't play it safe. Faith by nature involves the unknown, the uncertain, the, the, uh, the, 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 the risky. Remember, God said to Abraham, you, you go out and I'll show you where you're going to end up. To the land that he knew not where he was going. Uncertainty, unknown. Faith inherently involves the unknown. If you got all your ducks in a row and you got it all buttoned down, you know exactly how you're going to take care of it, you don't need faith. It involves the unknown and the risky. Now, keep in mind, our whole cultural mindset is risk management and risk aversion. And I don't say, I'm not saying we go out and do something stupid. But I'm saying God will stretch you with the unknown and the uncertain and the unfamiliar, and you will have to trust your God. That's the nature of faith. Maybe God will call you to start a business, and that's risky. Maybe God will call you to get involved with a ministry that really stretches you. Do it. He's Maybe he's been, for some of you, been speaking to you about this. Maybe God will call you to reach out to a neighbor who's a non-Christian, and it's kind of risky because you don't want them to think that you're, you know, that you're you know, just some narrow Christian. Maybe God is gonna call you to make some relational decision that doesn't feel safe to you, feels hard. The biggest example would be that God, by faith, would have you take the first 10% or so of your income and give it away, and you're not sure if you're going to have enough at the end of the month to pay the bills. That's kind of considered the acid test of trusting God in the Bible with your money. All of this, people of faith don't play it safe. Now, people of faith don't play it safe. It may not be safe, but it is a great adventure in seeing God come through time after time after time, and you don't want to miss that out. You don't want to miss out on that, and you're only chance to live by faith a second principle of faith people of faith are flawed people that is don't think that okay i got to get my act together and got to be perfect if i'm really going to be personally by faith abraham did not have his act together abraham trusted god for some incredible things including the sacrifice of his own son he's trusting god for that but abraham really made some bad mistakes too i mean twice he exposes his wife to great danger uh, of, of being assaulted because he was afraid that he, he would uh, be in trouble. I mean, uh, how could he do that? Uh, he, he lied twice and exposed his wife to danger. He compromised with his uh, wife's servant, Hagar, and was manipulative. He wasn't perfect. People of faith are flawed people. So take heart. You may not be perfect, but God wants you right now to trust him. Not wait till you're perfect, but right now to trust him. God's not looking for perfect people, but surrendered people who will trust Him. Thirdly, people of faith trust God for the God size. Now, I saw that earlier. Uh, God is going to call you and me to trust Him for things that are bigger than us, that if God doesn't come through, they would be impossible. Now, think about Abraham and Sarah. There will be several examples of that. But the first one is he's 75, she's 65, and and she's barren, and you're going to have... A whole nation of children come through you. And no doubt, when they got down to the promised land, they were expecting, okay, that baby's going to come. And one month comes by, and no baby. And two months comes by, and no baby. And three months, some of you know what that's like. And month after month, and pretty soon, year after year. And I bet at some point, 10, 12 years, they thought, we, we didn't hear right. You know, something is wrong here. And they try with Hagar to have a baby. That's not God's plan. And they keep waiting and they keep praying. And at some point, way into the process, years into the process, God says to, to Sarah, who has given up, He says, Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for me? If he's God, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing. Nothing. After 25 years, Abraham is 100. She is 90. She had been barren all of her life. And a 90-year-old back then is like a 90-year-old today. They don't have babies. <laughs> Nothing special about, uh, you know, people living at that time. They don't have babies. Sarah gets pregnant and has a son. God wants you to trust him for God-sized things. If they're just the safe and the tame... I mean, that's not going to stretch your faith. You don't even have to trust Him for those. What are you trusting God for? How about the salvation of a family member who seems so resistant to God? What about a broken relationship you've got? Maybe with a child, maybe with a parent, maybe with a good friend, maybe with a business partner. What about a broken relationship, and and you would love to see healing in this, and it just seems impossible. What about you're in a Tough, tough marriage, and you need God to do a miracle of healing, and it seems impossible. Or maybe you've lived for years, maybe decades in singleness, and would love God to bring you a, a great marriage. Or maybe you've lived in infertility, like here in this passage. You'd love God to give you a baby, a child. Maybe you've got this sin problem, this addiction problem even, that you're wrestling with, and humanly, it's impossible. Maybe... Uh, you, you need a job or a different job. What are you trusting God for that only God can do? Well, here's the acid test if you're trusting him or not. Or are you still praying about it? Every time you pray, you are saying to some extent, God, I believe you're there. I believe you hear prayer. I believe you care. I believe you can do this. You may not have perfect faith, but you've got enough faith to ask God. That's why Jesus says... He teaches his disciples to pray and not give up. And at the end of that passage, he says, when, he, when he, the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Faith and prayer go together always. What are you praying about? And you're not giving up. Because you're trusting God for the impossible. Yeah. Okay, number four. It'll come. People of faith obey God no matter what. Now, don't we see that? Doesn't the New Testament commentary in Hebrews eleven eight 8 that I read, doesn't it show that? By faith, Abraham obeyed God, and he went out. So, if you are trusting God, you obey God. Abraham did not understand where he would go, how he would be provided for, why he should go. He didn't understand so much. Understanding can wait. Obedience cannot. People of faith, they obey. Now, there's a lot of folks that go to churches, a lot of Christian folks, they obey if it's convenient. You know, I'll stay married to you if it's convenient. Um, How many Christians who are dating completely disobey God's clear command that sex is for marriage only? Well, that's not convenient. How many Christians disobey the clear teaching of the Bible that the first 10% off the top goes to God? Faith obeys. Is there any area of your life right now where you're living in disobedience? If so, at that point, you are not trusting God. You are not living by faith. It's your only opportunity in all of history to live by faith, all of eternity, right now. Faith obeys. Understanding can wait. Obedience cannot wait. One more. People of faith are not immune from problems. What I mean by that is this. Is that, okay, I'm surrendering my life completely, Lord. I'm going to be like Abraham. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to be a man of faith. I'm going to be a woman of faith. And and then you've got this big problem that comes. And you're wondering, what's going on? Why is God doing this? That is an instinctual response that I hear of Christians. Well, friends, because you're living by faith doesn't mean God's going to exempt you from problems. Did Abraham get exempted from problems? Man, he had famine to deal with. He had problems with Lot and had to separate. He had problems about Hagar. He had a problem about where is that child? I mean, he's waiting 25 years for that child. How long have you been waiting for what you're waiting for? God is using your trial to build your faith. If you had no need, you wouldn't trust God. Nothing's going wrong right now in your life with your big problem and your big suffering. This is what God is using to build faith. People of faith don't get an exemption from problems. Let me tell you a story. Okay, 1989, Gail and I were a young couple in Roseburg, Oregon. We had helped start a church there, it had had thrived, it had been going well. We were there for six years. Uh, After about six years, we were visiting my family in Texas during the Christmas holidays. And during that time, God puts on both of our hearts, you need to pick up from what you're doing here and leave the church that you helped start and move to Houston to start a new church. Now, um, I knew that that was from God because um, uh, the, the last place on the planet that Gail wanted to move was Houston. <laughs> so if God put that on her heart too, I knew, okay, this is from God. Three months later, we pack up our six-year-old and three-year-old girl, girls, and we pack a U-Haul trailer, and we move to Houston, Texas. We don't have another big church behind us or any, you know, organization funding us. We're just going to go there because we believe God wants us to do that. Now, so we're trusting God for this. We're living by faith. You might think we thought that, you know, God was going to bless us and take care of us. Well, the first four years there, it was so difficult. It it, It could not have been worse. I mean, we had all kind of financial problems, and 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 relational problems and problems with ministry and friendship. And at the end of four years, after living by faith and and stepping out like this, I felt like a failure as a pastor and I was very discouraged and we didn't know what we were gonna do. And about that time is when we kind of restarted and we started Wood's Edge. Okay, now it's time for it to go well and great. It didn't go well. We made some real mistakes, kind of got off on the wrong foot. The first three years were bad. The next, uh, I'd say, 1996 to 2002 were hard—not terrible, but hard—and so our first 13 years in this venture of faith did not go easy. What was God doing? He's teaching Jeff Wells to live by faith. He's building faith in me. He's building faith in Gail. Your struggles and problems are the very thing He is using to shape your soul and make you a man or a woman who lives by faith. Don't wonder why is God doing this. He is doing it so that in your only opportunity to trust God and live by faith, He is making you a man or woman of faith. Trust Him. Trust Him. And that means you obey Him, and that means you pray and you don't stop praying. Jesus Christ did not come to make your life easy, but to make you strong, strong in faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing in your life. Be a good learner at what he's doing. Now this passage, this whole example of Abraham leaving the secure homeland and going to this unknown place, that will have its eventual fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ who leaves the security of heaven, steps out and becomes a human being and moves into our insecure world so he could save us. And now I can be secure in his love and grace because he did that. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of this call of Abraham and this leaving the secure place. I today, you today, because we are secure and safe in Jesus Christ, we can take the risk of living by faith. Do you know that you are completely safe forever? Nothing's ever going to touch you that doesn't come through the hands of God. You're safe if you know the Lord, if he's your savior. You're safe for all eternity. The blood of Jesus has washed you whiter than snow. You're right with God. You're safe. You're safe. It won't be easy, but you're safe. And because of that, Because of this kind of secure love and grace by the God who made us, we can take the risk in their one lifetime to live by faith and trust God. Church, I don't know about you, but in terms of living by faith, that's where I'm going. It won't be easy. hasn't been easy. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he is worthy of us to trust him. And when it comes to the question, are you going to live by faith or not? Count me in. Count me in. Can I count you in? Raise your hand if so. Can I count you in? You're going to live by faith, by God's grace. Stand with me, please. First step of faith. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that's the first step of faith. Say, Jesus, come and save me from my sin. He'll release you from any religious performance or measuring up or being good enough. He'll save you. Just breathe a prayer. Church, this is how you become a Christian. Say, Jesus, save me, whatever your words are, and he'll do it. This is how you come into the kingdom. Now, Lord God, everybody else here who's already done that, Lord, we are struggling at times to live by faith. I struggle. Lord, we need your help. Lord, may may, may we at Wood's Edge be men and women who trust our God no matter what. Lord, the, the challenges that we're facing right now, today, wrestling with, rescue, deliver, and heal your people. We pray. Lord, we pray with all our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.